morning, everybody. Special welcome if you're a visitor with us, if this is your first time or um, you're perhaps not been around for a while and uh, you've decided that on this Sunday you're going to do church and uh, we're really chuffed that you've been able to join with us this morning. It's great to have you with us. Um, But I have a question for you, Um, but but before that you will need to uh, perhaps grab one of your green, lovely, fresh looking January bulletins, have a little rummage through that and you should find in there uh, a piece of paper that will fall out all by itself. This is Back to Church Sunday, and it says new on the top of it, so it's just a single sheet. Uh, There's a number of scriptures that I'm going to be going through this morning, so this might be good to have to your hand, so you can uh, perhaps understand what I'm saying, (laughs) or um, keep track of where I'm at, or if you get bored, give you something to do the crossword on, or whatever. But that's kind of where I'm going this morning, so that may be helpful uh, to have to hand. But how many of you are feeling new this morning? It's a new year. How many of you are feeling new? Nobody. Well, great for a new year. So it's a new year and I made a decision. I'm not a big one for New Year's resolutions, but this year has been the year of all resolutions to be made and I am making some changes in my life and I'm going to take you through the changes in my life. First of all, I'm going to get a new job. Seems to be the thing to do. But uh, I don't want to work anywhere else but Zion Christian Centre, so I need to transfer my job into another area of the church. So I'm joining the staff of Inspirations Hair Studio. If I can get the uniform on. Got my name badge. It's not mine, but... So I'm going to become a hairdresser. New job, new year, that's what people do, don't they? Make decisions, something's going to change, I'm going to get a new job. So this is me and my new job. And obviously if I'm going to be a hairdresser, I better change my hair. So, I've done with blonde, been blonde for 46 years, with a bit of help. (laughs) A lot of help from Inspirations Hair Studio. Uh, So it's time to be redhead or brunette. Brunette. I was a redhead at the nine, so I looked like Annie. So this will be interesting. How does this work? Might be not the wrong way, but hey, this is going to be a joy. No, not quite. Sorry. New hair. I'm sensing this could be my new look. you do with fringes? Never had a fringe. So I've got my new job, I've got my new hair and because uh, I've got an inflated salary now, thank you elders, uh, I'm going to buy myself a new wardrobe. So I'm going to get sophisticated and wear scarves. Um, so that's good. Got my new. Uh, obviously I need to start making amends to my health. So I'm going to get on the diet. So I'm going to eat my salad, and I'm also going to give up the fags. So uh, I've got my Nicorette patches. Not sure how they work, but I'm sure they do some good. Um, I borrowed these from the smoking group in the church. Not a group that teaches you to smoke. (laughs) 
a group that helps you stop smoking. Thursday night in the community zone, so I've been rummaging around their gear, because I don't actually smoke, before you worry, and I'll just start writing to Leon. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm diet, giving up the fags, um, I think I need to give up the alcohol, <sighs> so I'm uh, going to get on the water this year, going to stop me uh, alcohol off the mulled wine now, uh, get some uh, good water inside of me. And need to be a bit more generous, I think, a bit more generous this year. So I'm going to start giving to charity. I bought the big issue. Going to buy the big issue every time I see it. I'm going to treble, no, let's be generous, quadruple my giving to the third place. I know I'm just following all of you that's already done that this year, but just getting in line. So uh, I'm going to quadruple. So yeah, I'm new job, new hair, new health, off the drugs, sorry, off the drink. <laughs> I haven't got anything in my box for that one. <laughs> Sorry. Rewind the tape. Uh, off the drink, I'm giving to charity one final thing. What all of you know you need to do? Not make your feet smell. Exercise. So it's time for some exercise. The new me you're about to see, I know it's a better look than before. So there you have new Janet 2000, new generosity, new diet, new healthy living, new wardrobe, new hair, and a new job. I am a brand new person. But how many of you know that doesn't really work? Right, I just need to lie down now. Talk amongst yourselves. Right, where were we? Yes, that doesn't really work, does it? Because all I'm trying to do there is change the outside, aren't I? If I can get a bit more exercise, change, you know, what I'm doing diet-wise, get a new job, new hair, new clothes, all of that really just changes the outside. And last weekend was New Year, if you missed it. And, uh, you know, we went from a Friday, didn't we, to a Saturday. Big deal. Not a lot changed. And yet we have these kind of aspirations and hopes and dreams an expectation whenever the calendar flicks a page that this is going to be new. And uh, I found out from Time magazine that there are a number of resolutions that are the most commonly broken ones. Some of them relate to uh, what I've demonstrated this morning. So the top 10 are get fit, quit smoking, learn something new, lose weight, get out of debt, spend more time with family, travel to new places, be less stressed, volunteer and drink less. So those are the most commonly uh, broken resolutions, uh, according to Time magazine. So clearly, no matter how many times we make them, they don't necessarily work very often. I read something this week that I thought was fantastic by a guy called Jay Leno. It's not the the quote you've got on your notes. And a guy called Jay Leno, he's a chat show host in America, and his way of dealing with resolutions that you can never, uh, ever change or actually, you know, make a difference was to, ch- was to change the goalpost. So rather than keep battering yourself to get through with the resolution, it was more about changing the goalpost. And he said this, now, there are mo- now that there are more overweight people in America than average weight people, the overweight people are now the average weight. 
So already you've met your New Year's resolution, your average weight. And I thought, isn't that another way of dealing with things that you can't change? You just move the goalposts so suddenly you've accomplished it. And on New Year's Eve, when I was driving around earlier in the day, um, I had this bizarre thought. Well, it was bizarre for me, I suppose. But um, I was driving around, and on the radio, they said that it was already New Year in New Zealand. You know, some point during the day, it came on the radio, and they had the sound of the fireworks and the celebrations, and they were talking about the fact that New Zealand were, you know, the first into 2011. Woohoo! New Year in New Zealand. And uh, then there was us, eventually. We, we, we came in a bit later. And then, obviously, there was America who was so in last year. So last year, America, for a few hours. And then they eventually caught up, and eventually the last state of the last country finally made it into the next year. So I had this thought, you know, about the fact that New Year isn't actually a defined point, is it? It's because of where you live, it changes. It's not like a universal time. So I had this thought, well, when does God celebrate New Year? Does he celebrate it with the Kiwis in New Zealand? And then by the time it gets to us in America, he's like, oh, I am partied out. You know, I've already done New Year in several countries and I just can't be bothered with it anymore. Or does he wait until the last country and then go, well, hey, the whole globe is in 2011. Woo, party popper. When does God celebrate New Year? And I thought, actually, I don't think he does. Not because he's a party pooper, but actually because I think there's a principle in God that God celebrates newness. That it didn't really matter to God that it went from Friday to Saturday. It didn't really matter that it went from 2010 to 2011. It was, you know, a second in time that changed. But in God, he celebrates newness because God is into new. God is into renewal. God is into transformation. God is into newness. Isaiah 43, and I think this is on your notes, says, See, I'm doing a new thing. This is God speaking. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not see it? And the thing that I've, you know, registers as I've looked over this is that all the time God wants to do a new thing in us. The question is, do we see it? Do we perceive it? All the time God is wanting to spring up new things in our lives, but half the time, most of the time, 90% of the time, we don't register it, do we? We don't we haven't got tuned in to what God is doing. And I want to take us through eight things this morning. Some are a bit fatter, some are a bit thinner in terms of time. Uh, The front end's a bit fatter, the latter end's a bit thinner. If you're thinking we've got only four points done and it's already two o'clock, be encouraged. The last points go quicker. But I want to take you through some points that I think, when I look through scriptures, what are the new things? If God is into the new, if God wants to do a new thing in us and we're not seeing it, what are the new things that God wants to do in us don't think he's too faffed about whether it's 2010 or 2011, but what are the new things that God is always wanting to do in our lives? So first of all, we're going to look at Lamentations. Lamentations 3, I know you all read Lamentations all the time. Interesting book in the Bible, but in Lamentations 3 it says, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is God's faithfulness. His compassion is new every morning. 
So when you wake up in the morning, the great thing about that, God is already awake and he's already excited about you waking up. I I think if you're perhaps a new mum and, you know, when you first got your baby, when they start sleeping, you want to prod them to wake them up because you want to play with them or perhaps you don't after a few weeks of not sleeping. You're like, sleep! I don't know. But, you know, that sense of, you know, you can't wait for them to be awake so you can interact with them and engage with them and talk to them and love on them and, you know, see what they do now. And there's that excitement and expectation and I think that's just like God when we wake up in the morning God's already awake he's already looking down on our lives and he can't wait for us to wake up because he's got plans and purposes and great things that he wants to do in and through us and blessings that he wants to pour in our life and new things that he wants to do so when we wake up and we're half dozy and just about coming to terms with another day God's dead excited that you his cherished child has woken up and is expectant of all that he wants to do in and through you that day And the great thing about God is that the fullness of who he is, is for you that day. We've sang, if God is for us, who can be against us? God is for you. And when you wake up, irrespective of what yesterday was like, or last year was like, or a decade ago was like, God is for you. And his compassion is fresh and full and for you. And his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy and everything that he is and his kindness is for you and afresh for you that morning. So you may not have woke up feeling like that this morning, but perhaps tomorrow morning when you woke up, once you've killed the alarm a few times, you might just think, wow, God's excited that I've woken up this morning. And everything that he is and all his goodness and kindness is for me and available to me this morning. It's a new day for us, but it's consistent with God's heart towards you. No matter about yesterday, God loves you today. God in its fullness is for you afresh. And we've sang, haven't we? His mercy covers us. You know, he's seen the depths of our heart and he loves us the same. So maybe your heart was a bit rubbish yesterday or last year or you weren't at your best yesterday. But God has seen the depths of your heart and all its toxicity at times and he loves you the same. It never wavers. It never changes. It's fresh for you every single morning. It's like starting a brand new page, let alone a brand new year. Every day, every second is a brand new moment with God. So first of all, his compassion is new every morning. Secondly, he wants to put a new song on your lips. When I got into this idea of what I wanted to do today, I went through the whole of the Bible, not verse by verse, using Bible Gateway, and, um, which is a, a web program, it's very helpful, and I typed in new, and I kind of summarized all the new things, because if I'm saying, well, God wants to do new things in you, you know, I need to back that up in scripture, what are the new things God wants to do in you? And the eight that I've come up with this morning are out of about 12 bigger categories, um, you know, I am mentioning new wineskins or new covenants, some of the other things, but these are the eight I focused on this morning. And one of the things that comes a lot, up a lot, particularly in the Psalms, is God wants to put a new song on your lips. And I know even in my life, there's been seasons and decades and times when there's been a different song on my lips. So perhaps in the 70s, there was a particular song in the 80s and the 90s and more recently. So I'm just going to take you back in track for a moment. And we're going to just watch a short clip, which is a song I was into in the 70s. So cast a look at the screens. Yay, who remembers the Bay City Rollers? Some of you are like, who? I love all these like looks at camera that he does, trying to be all seductive. So, um, yeah, that was the Bay City Road. It was 1976. I was 12. So uh, I had my tartan scarf around my wrist. Some of you are thinking, okay. <laughs> so my taste has changed, okay? 
I tried to think of three bands for each generation. So in the 70s, I was into ELO, Electric Light Orchestra. Some of the younger ones are just wanting to leave. Uh, ABBA, Blondie, Ultravox. The 80s, it was Police, Chris Bradley, Phil Collins, Human League, Duran Duran, 90s Celine Dion, (laughs) Michael Jackson, Bon Jovi, and more recently, Just Stone, Daughtry, Michael Bublé. I think I've redeemed myself on the last one. <laughs> so even like in the song that's been on my lips over the, you know, the cause of, the cause of my life, the time of my life has changed. You know, there's uh, songs, you know, especially ABBA. I sang a lot of ABBA. Saw the movie five times. So um, you know, there's been seasons in my life when a particular song or a band have been you know obviously a higher profile in my life. Um, but even over time, you know, the song on my lips in the kind of natural world, if you like, in terms of popular music that I listen to, has changed. Um, and this is kind of a song that more recently has been on my lips. So you, you, not because I'm particularly into this band, but just because it seems to be on the airwaves endlessly. So if you just have the, it's not a video, it's just an audio clip. This morning has been quite an interesting social experiment. With the nine o'clock, nobody sang, interestingly, nobody sang along to Bay City Rolls, and the whole lot sang along to Take That. <laughs> At the 11 o'clock, you've all sung along to Bay City Rolls, but not Take That. Interesting. I mean, I'm not particularly into them, um, but that song just seems to have been in my head for weeks. It's like always on the radio, and I know it was number one for a while, but it's just caught in my head and I can't get it out. So I find myself singing it at really random and inappropriate times, but uh, that's been the song more recently. And um, the interesting thing at the end of that, they sing, you know, they said we'd never dance again. And uh, the thing I want to kind of bring out of this is that sometimes um, the song on our lips. Is, is not a great song, and we think we'll never dance again. You know, we'll think, I mean, the song starts, Robbie Williams starts by singing, I'm standing on the edge of forever. And obviously today we are, aren't we? We're standing on the edge of forever. We're starting on the edge of the rest of our lives. And there may be a song on your lips that God wants to change for you today, tomorrow, this year. Let me give you an example. Instead of a song of grief, perhaps John, um, God wants to give you a song of joy. Instead of despair, God maybe wants to give you a song of hope. Instead of a song of defeat, God wants to give you a song of victory. Instead of a song of imprisonment, God wants to give you a song of freedom. Instead of a song of hate, God wants to give you a song of love. Instead of a song of isolation, God wants to give you a song of belonging. Instead of a song of disappointment, God wants to give you a song of expectation. Instead of a song of rejection, God wants to give you a song of acceptance. Instead of a song of fear, God wants to give you a song of courage. So the song that perhaps is on your lips currently, or the song that has been on your lips last year, or the last five or ten years, if it isn't a great song, God, in his word, says his desire is to give you a new song, a song of praise, a song of hope, a song of joy, a song of freedom, a song of love on your lips. In Deuteronomy 1, verse 6, when God is talking to the Israelites, he says, you've stayed on this mountain long enough, and they'd been there 40 years, going around the same mountain, around the same issue. And we can be like that, can't we? We can go around the same stuff for four days, 40 days, 40 years. And actually God's saying, maybe this year, the new thing he wants to do is say, break camp. 
Let me take you into the new and put a new song, a new song of hope and encouragement and joy on your lips. God wants to give you a new song. Thirdly, God wants to give you a new attitude. (laughs) In Ephesians, it says, let the spirit renew your thoughts and make you new in your attitudes. And I, I was thinking about how could I kind of try to convey to you this morning how attitudes can change? Because I thought about some of the attitudes that I've got, and I think, well, if I've got an attitude uh, towards something, good or bad, that is my attitude. If I you know, have a good attitude towards something, someone, uh, some aspect of my life, or about, that is, you know, I have to own that, that is what's inside of me, that's my attitude. So uh, if I want to change that, how, how do I... How, does God and how do I change? Can't spell attitude. So this is, uh, you know, a, an attitude that I, I may have. And I think, so where does that attitude come from? Well, our attitude comes mostly from our perspective or our perception on something. And that strongly influences our attitude. So how I see something, my perception about something, my perspective is, is a prime driver for my attitude towards something or someone. How I see how something is working out or how somebody uh, I perceive they've treated me or however, that then often dictates my attitude. And that comes from two things, I think, probably more if you're a psychodynamic counsellor, but uh, this is the best I can do. <laughs> Uh, I think our pers- I can't speak and write at the same time. Teachers, you're very clever if you can do that. That should say information and experience. And the two things that shape our perspective or our perception are information. So if we get information about something, we then have a take on that and that shapes our attitude and experience. So just to give a really you know, basic NAF illustration of that... Um, if Dan goes down into the coffee shop during the week and he, he bumps into a guy down there and he comes back up to me and I haven't met the guy but he says to me, and can I just say Dan would never say this because he's way too nice, but he comes back up to me, so just pretend, okay? He comes back up to me and says, oh, there's a really horrid man in the coffee shop. Now I go down in the coffee shop and I happen to see the guy in there and that information has shaped, hasn't it, my perspective and my perception, and therefore potentially my attitude, because I think, oh, horrible van down there might give him a wide berth. So something about the information I've received has changed my perspective, my perception on something, and therefore my attitude towards that person has changed. Equally, it might be through experience. So I might go down to the coffee shop, and I might meet this gentleman, and he's very rude to me, and I can't understand why. And I come back into the office, and I say to Dan, there's a very rude man down in the coffee shop. And my experience of the rude man has given me a perspective on him, don't think he's very nice, think he's a bit out of order, think he's a bit rude, and therefore I'm starting to cultivate, aren't I? I'm starting to get shaping an attitude towards him. So attitudes are quite strong, so I think, well, I want to have a different attitude. Well, if the experience doesn't change and the information doesn't change, how do I just change my attitude? Well, you can try to force change. So there's a a cute little story about the mother that's trying to get her son to sit down. So she's saying to him, you will sit down. And he's saying, I'm not, I'm standing. And he's, you will sit down. No, I'm standing up. And eventually she forces him down into the seat. And he says to her, I may be sitting down on the outside, but on the inside, I'm still standing up. 
And we can be like that. We can, other people say, you need a better attitude. Or you can say to yourself, I need a better attitude. You can try to force your attitude to change. But how successful really is that? If someone says to you, you need a better attitude, does that really change your attitude? Because your attitude is your attitude. So that's it, really. (laughs) So I have thought, how can I say to people, your attitude can be changed? And this is the only thing I've come up with, okay? I think it's a partnership between God and you. First of all, you need to be willing to change. Because it might be that the experience does change, and I therefore change. For example, I'll go back the other way, the way I did it first time, Dan. Dan comes back up into the office and said to me, oh, you know that man I said was really horrible. Well, actually, I've just spoke to him. This has happened to him this morning. This happened yesterday. This has happened. He's just been mugged on the way, and he's lost this, and he's done this and that, that, and he's, he's just a bit out of sorts. Well, suddenly, that fresh information has completely changed my perspective, and therefore, my attitude. suddenly, I want to go down and see if the guy's all right, rather than giving him a wide berth. So the fresh information has changed my perception, my perspective on it, and therefore my attitude. So fresh information can come and a fresh experience. I could go down the coffee shop, I could see the the man and he may say the same to me and suddenly rather than the heart of, oh, I don't quite know how to take you, I might just keep away, suddenly I've got a heart of compassion. So if these two change, information and experience, then our perception and our attitude will change. But that's all great, but what if neither of these change? Because some stuff is historic, isn't it? Or the experience is an ongoing one, and every time you encounter this person or whatever, it's the same. So if these don't change, how on earth do we change our attitudes? So back to where I've nearly got to. I think it's a partnership between you and God. First of all, you need to be willing to change. God cannot, like forcing the child in the sea, God cannot force your attitude to change. He may shed some new light on something. He may give you a different experience to help. But at the end of the day, if you don't want to change, your attitude won't change. Equally, I don't think you can do it alone. Because if neither of this changes, the information experiences, your attitude is still your attitude. So how do you change it? Well, then I think that's when God gets involved. You being willing to change and in partnership with God and his Holy Spirit can change your perspective. It might be that you recognise actually this person's never going to say sorry, but actually God tells me to forgive and by his spirit he's going to help me forgive and actually he's given me a perspective of how much I've been forgiven and therefore that gives me a desire to forgive. So it's a partnership between you and God that then can change your perspective on something and therefore your attitude. So God wants to give you a new attitude. And you may think, well, I've had this attitude for years and it's beyond changing. But I don't believe that's true in Scripture. God says he wants to give you a new attitude. I mean, a great verse, and Ant mentioned it when we were praying early. He said that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, aren't we? God wants to renew our minds, our thinking, our perspective, and therefore we are transformed. It's a work of God in us. So God wants to give us a new attitude. Number four, he wants to give us a new name. When I was in uh, Youth for Christ, I went to, well, I was speaking at a wedding for a couple that got married in Youth for Christ, and they were in our theatre group, our creative arts group, and they were very creative and dramatic, and uh, the whole wedding was this like West End production, and they had scenes and acts and all sorts of clever things for this whole uh, do. And uh, when we went to the reception, we got to reception, and rather than having um, little pieces of cardboard with your name on, they had rocks 
with your name on. So this, although it's a bit blurry now because it's a few years ago, this is a rock that's been painted and it's got gold paint on and in black it says Janet. I know you probably can't see that from the back, Fran. <laughs> um, so this, this was, so how we got to um, uh, where we were sit was, you know, because our name was painted on a rock. And uh, the scripture says, you will be given a new name that the mouth of God will bestow. And when I was born, my parents named me Janet Mary Whitehead. So if you like, they, they painted it on a rock. They didn't literally, but I was labelled Janet Mary Whitehead. Well then, uh, over the years, I've been called a few things, um, not so much by my parents. Uh, my brother calls me Jan for some reason. He's one of the few people in the world that can get away with that. Um, people do call you different things, don't they? When I was at school, I had a bit of a difficult time at school. And uh, because I was only four foot four, not too much taller now, but I was only four foot four when I went to high school. And uh, some of the boys on the bus, I used to have to travel by bus um, to get to where I went. They didn't like me very much because I was little. And um, they decided that they would call me by a new name. And they announced to the bus that I was no longer going to be called Janet, but I was going to be called Stump. Yes, it's okay. It's a long time ago now. So I was labelled Stump. And so for the five years that I was at grammar school, I uh, was called Stump. Stump's on the bus, Stump's getting off the bus, and I was never called by Janet, I was always called Stump. And in fact, I have a, uh, a school report upstairs in the loft, I couldn't be bothered to go get it, just to prove this to you, where uh, we used to get the school books at the end of the year, and they grabbed one of them and they wrote all our Stump is horrible, we hate Stump, all over my school book. I've still got that in my loft. I know. And so obviously my time at school wasn't ideal, that's why I left at 16, I couldn't wait to get out of there. And uh, you know, I, I found schooling quite difficult and I kind of carried that label. So rather than having you know, uh, the name of Janet Mary Whitehead and being proud of who I was, I had this kind of complex about being short and stumpy and you know, not liked by people, especially the boys on the bus. And it's very easy, isn't it, through life to pick up labels and then think that's who you are. So I was no longer Janet Mary Whited anymore with all the possibilities and all the creative wonderness that God put in my life. Suddenly, I was a stump. And I think easily through life, we can pick up labels and names, divorced, rejected, um, you know, foreign, you know, short, tall, fat, thin. You can easily, can't we, unemployed, pick up a label and then feel that that defines who you are. But God says that he wants to give you a new name. The great thing about this verse from Isaiah, it says, you will be given a new name from the mouth of, sorry, that the mouth of God will bestow. And in the message version, which is a kind of uh, a slightly more up-to-date translation, you will get a brand new name straight from the mouth of God. Isn't that fantastic? Irrespective of your label, God and his kindness and his passion for you wants to give you a name that he himself bestows, that he himself gives you, that is way above anything else and any other label that anyone could give you, that defines you. He might say, you are a precious child, you are beloved, you are chosen, you are accepted, you are fantastic, you are awesome, you are gifted, you are wonderful. These are the kind of names that God wants to give you. He wants to bestow from his very mouth himself, which is a way more powerful voice than the boys on the bus. And so because I became a Christian, uh, not long after leaving school, I think that was the radical thing that changed my life from growing up with this label of loser, stump, short, nothing, 
to becoming what I have become in God because something radically changed when I encountered Jesus Christ and he wrote a new name over my life and it wasn't the boys on the bus's opinion, it was whatever, am I bothered? <laughs> now the great thing about the other verse I put on there is from Revelation where it talks about a white stone and I've included that, it's a slightly, just a little add-in I wanted to put in. The verse from Revelation says, I will give to each a white stone with a new name written, or another translation says engraved on it. So it won't be painted on like the friend did, but this is something that God wants to mark on your life. And where that comes from is in the Old Testament. When a judge was about to give his decision over whether somebody was guilty or not, he would come up to the the person that was in trouble and he would have in his hand two stones. And he would walk up to them and he would choose which stone to give them to decide whether they were guilty and therefore would face death or they weren't guilty, they were innocent and would have life. And he had two stones, one of which was a black stone, one of which was a white. So he would go up to, Dan's looking stressed now. (laughs) He would hold out his hands before them and he would either pronounce that they were guilty and therefore going to die or they were innocent and were going to live and he would hold out either death or life to the person. Can you imagine the trauma of that moment? But what God says in his word is that he hands out to every single one of us the white stone of forgiveness and innocence and life. That's what your name is engraved on. He doesn't just give it to you so you can lose it. He says, I'm engraving your name on the white stone of forgiveness and life. God wants to give you a new name and he wants to engrave that on a white stone of life. Number five, new edge. Very quickly, these last ones. When I, uh, I go swimming sometimes, and uh, I got very envious, I'm quite a competitive person, I got very envious um, about this guy that swims a lot faster than me. Don't like that. Tried my best to catch him up, and then I realised he had a secret weapon, he had some of these. Exactly. And I, he let me borrow them once, and I had a little try with them, so I uh, had a go. thought, these are smashing. This is giving me a bit of an edge. So I got me paddles on my hands, and I swam like the woman from Atlantis. I was supersonic. I had my new edge. I cut through the water. I could paddle heaps of water back. Got to the end of the lane. Nearly died of exhaustion. <laughs> Never used them since. £2.50 decathlon, money well spent. And I thought, you know, I wanted an edge in my swimming. I wasn't happy with how fast I was going. I wanted an edge. And I thought, if I go buy myself an edge, that will make me better. That will speed me up. But what I realised, because this guy doesn't use his very often either, and he's still a lot faster, is that to have an edge is something from within you. I need greater stamina. I need greater muscle thing. I need greater aerobic capacity. If I'm going to catch this guy, you know, something has to change within me. It ain't going to happen through a couple of blue paddles. And it says in here, in Isaiah 41, I will make you into a new threshing instrument. I will give you a new edge. And I think God doesn't want it to be something that we manufacture. On the, like, I want to be more effective in this. I want to be greater at this. I want to have a cutting edge in this area of my life or in my work. Or in, and it can't be something, I think, that you try to manufacture. It's got to be something that God does inside of you. Number six. I've gone through that quickly because of time. Number six, a new spirit. 
Ezekiel 36, verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow me. Um, I put a rock climber on this because I already put a picture up for a new spirit. But uh, it was kind of that sense of, you know, a fresh enthusiasm, a fresh determination, a fresh level of courage, reaching for something greater. And the key thing here and the key thing for all of these things that I've said is that it's a work of God. The thing I love so much about this verse, because I think, you know, at times when perhaps I've been hard-hearted towards God, I think, God, I I don't want, I know I'm feeling quite hard-hearted towards you at the moment and I want that to change. A bit like the attitude, but how can I change it? Because that's where I'm at. But God says here, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone. I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you. So again, it's me opening up and saying, God, I don't like where I'm at with you. I want to change, but by your spirit come in and renew my spirit. Give me a fresh spirit. Give me fresh determination to follow you. Give me fresh passion for your name, whatever it happens to be. And I want to read you a story about someone who had a different spirit. Throughout the Bible, there are many stories of of groups of people where within them, some of them had a different spirit. And uh, in uh, in Gideon, the story of Gideon, um, when he's amongst all the soldiers, um, God says to him, Gideon, mighty warrior. Well, he wasn't, but he saw something in him. He saw that he had a different spirit within him. When it comes to David and Goliath, he was amongst all the Israelites. They all had the same faith. Well, they followed the same God, but they didn't have the same spirit because it was David that was prepared to step out. And this is a story about someone who has a different spirit. Uh, it's called Michael Jordan, the basketball player. The Chicago Bulls are one of the best basketball teams in the world. They're probably more famous for having the great Michael Jordan on their team than anything else. One of my American friends who supports the Bulls once told me that if in the closing minutes of the games the Bulls are losing, the most important thing at that time is to ensure you get the ball to Michael Jordan. They must get the ball to Jordan for two reasons. Firstly, he's the most skilled and most likely to sink it in the basket. And secondly... And key, he is the only one that actually wants it. Many are envious of Jordan's wealth and popularity, and many would die for the kind of sponsorship deals he has with companies like Nike. However, these same people don't want the ball when it really matters. When the chips are down and there's only one point in it, when missing the last opportunity to score could be forever held against him, Jordan still yells for the ball. And others on the team are happy to let him have it. The fame, fortune and popularity all go to the guy who shouts for the ball when no one else wants it. Whether he scores or not, the sheer courage he demonstrates inspires admiration from his fans, which far outlive the game itself. Do you want the ball? God is looking for people who want the ball in this generation. Shout for the ball of God's purposes for your church, for this city, this town, this nation. Shout out like Isaiah did, here am I, send me. Stop playing deaf when God shouts your name. Don't be like Moses or Gideon who tried to talk God out of passing them the ball. Don't be found hiding in the baggage like Saul. Instead, be like young David. Nobody was shouting for the ball when Goliath threw down his challenge to Israel's army, except this young, rosy-cheeked teenager. And for his courage, he got the fame, the fortune, and the girl. From the dawn of time, God has been looking for people who are willing to carry the ball of his purpose into the world. After Adam fell, God found Noah and started again. Following Noah, God found and called Abraham to carry the ball of his purpose. 
Then he found Isaac, Jacob and Joseph and so on. In every generation, God will find someone who has a different spirit, who wants the ball and uses that person to the full. It's time to stop holding back. There is a ball waiting to be carried across enemy lines and into a lost world. Shout for the ball of God's purpose today. Why not register your availability to God right now? God wants to put a new spirit in you. It might be that you, perhaps you're new here today and you feel like, well, I don't really know God at all. I'm not sure how I feel about him and I feel quite apathetic towards God or uninterested or perhaps you want to be brave enough to pray well God if you're there give me a new heart give me a new spirit help me find you help me know what it is to know you help me be positive towards you maybe you're a Christian who's been forever around church and you're feeling a bit tuned out of it all well God by his spirit he says I will if you're open I will give you a new spirit and maybe you're a going for it Christian this morning and you want to carry the ball of God's purposes and perhaps you've got that different spirit like David and Joshua and Caleb who will carry God's purposes. Last couple of things that are dead quick and then we're going to sing. The reason I know God is into new in a big way is because scripture from Genesis to Revelation is just saturated with the new things that God always wants to do. Whether it's a new year, a new day or a new moment. God wants to do new things in our life. But culminating in Revelation it says that he wants to bring about a new heaven and a new earth. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There is a day when God will make all things new. There will be no more sickness or disease or suffering or rejection or divorce or grief or um, terrorism or earthquakes or famine. There will come a day when God will make all things new. That's why I have a guarantee that God is in to making things new. And finally, all of this is possible Because if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, then you are, as scripture says, a brand new creation. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Or in the NLT, this means that anyone who belongs to Jesus Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And I put a picture there of a guy, a scientist with a a model of DNA and uh, you know, when, when you're born, you have DNA, and spiritually, you are born with spiritual DNA. But when you become a Christian, your DNA changes. You go from being someone who is destined to death to someone who's destined for life. You go from somebody who's destined to an eternity without God to somebody who's destined to an eternity with God. Your spiritual DNA changes, and therefore, you can become a new person in God. Leon sent this funny little thing around the office um, a couple of months ago, and uh, it slightly it works better on uh, email, but I'll, I'll give it a go anyway. And you have to decide which of these animals you are, and therefore which personality. So listen out for the animals, and then decide which one you're going to be, and therefore which personality. There is a very, 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 very tall coconut tree, and there are four animals. A lion, a chimp, a giraffe, and a squirrel. Got it? A lion, a chimp, a giraffe, and a squirrel. They decide to commit to see who's the fastest to get the banana off the tree. Who do you think will win? depending on which animal you choose will reflect your personality. So it's a lion, a chimp, a giraffe and a squirrel. Okay. If your answer is lion, you're dim. If you think chimpanzee, you're dense. If you think giraffe, you're desperate. And if you thought squirrel, you're dozy. (laughs) Why? Because a coconut tree doesn't have bananas. Started by saying a coconut tree 
You see, a fruit, a tree cannot produce different fruit, can it? A tree can, uh, an apple tree can, despite all what they try to do with genetic modification, um, you know, an apple tree can only produce apples. A pear tree can only produce pears, and so on. And we, as a person, when we are born, we can only become what we can be until God gets a hold of our life and everything changes. Our spiritual DNA changes. It talks about that we've moved from darkness and into light, and in Christ we become a brand new creation. And all that I've talked about this morning becomes accessible and possible and very attainable. God is into the new. I'm just going to conclude now. I know we're tight on time. Uh, It's a couple of minutes long and then we'll just uh, sing very briefly to finish. So thank you for your patience this morning. I appreciate we've gone long. But we're just going to watch this clip that kind of summarises some of what I've been trying to say today. Okay, as the guys uh, come back, let's just pray. God, I want to thank you as that scripture said at the end that the plans you have for us are to give us a hope and a future. God, I want to thank you that you are the God of the new, that every moment, even this moment, God, that you could do something new in our hearts and our minds and our lives. God, as we read, you say you're doing a new thing. Help us, God, to see it as it springs up. God, I want to pray for anyone here that's just visiting today and this is all very new to them. God, I pray that you would help them find you, that you would help them encounter you, that you would help them believe that all of this is possible for their life. God, we thank you that you are into doing a new thing in wherever we're at with you right now, Lord God. Thank you that you have plans for us, that you have new things that you want to do. You've got brand new pages that you want to write great things on. God, we ask that we would be willing participants in that process. God, help us all to be open to your work in our lives. And God, we resolve this year to let you do the new things that you want to do in us. In Jesus' name. Amen.